This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing, however you Shopify is a global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the, hey Marge, did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Running a growing business means getting the insights you need wherever you are. With Shopify's single dashboard, you can manage orders, shipping, and payments from anywhere. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the United States. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash ifanboy, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash ifanboy now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash ifanboy. This is iFanboy Media Explode, episode six. Welcome to iFanboy Media Explode, Episode 6. My name is Connor Kilpatrick. I am here with Josh Flanagan. I am Josh Flanagan. Hello, Connor. And Ron Richards. Hello. And iFanboy Media Explode is the monthly show in which you talk about things other than comic books. It was unlocked by the patrons over at patreon.com slash iFanboy. We like all things, and we like to talk about them. So we usually start off with some quarantine streaming talk, but we also should talk a little bit about what we're missing in the world. Before, because we always end up talking about TV because there's nothing else to talk about. What the world needs now is love. There's only there's really only Sweet TV love. to talk about. There's no movies to go to. We can't go to the movies. We can't see Tenant. We can't see anything. I so wish we can go to the movies. I was actually it was funny because earlier today, in fact, Josh and I were talking, we're chatting, and we're talking about music, and we're talking about missing going to shows and seeing bands play. And I didn't type this, Josh, we were talking in Slack about it. But I, the thought did cross my mind that if someone came to me today and like you can go to you can go to this venue and see these three bands, or you can go to a movie and you're in no danger of COVID or anything like that, but you can only choose one. I honestly don't know what I would pick. I love live music, but I love the movie theater experience. Well, but like, do you, do you want to watch, like, if the show was really good, yeah. you know, or the, but the movie was just kind of okay, then you go, I, ugh, I, I'd kind of be okay with watching it. I feel like in this scenario, it is e- of equal level bands that you would really enjoy and a movie you would really enjoy. Because listen, I'm not, ri- I'm not risking this wish on like, <laughs> eh, I'm not sure. I heard mixed things about that movie. Or like, I don't oh, know sure. the opener, you know? like. <laughs> no, I, I, I think, yeah, but, but like if it was like, it's an okay movie, but the popcorn's very fresh, and the band's good, but you've seen them a couple times. I'd go with the movie. Air conditioning, 
I haven't gotten popcorn at the movie theater in years because I read an article, it must have been like 10 years ago, that apparently the uh, large tub of popcorn is the equivalent of eating like 12 uh, Big Macs or something like that. And I, was like, <laughs> I know. And like, I literally was like, oh, I'm never doing that again. So <laughs> I know. <laughs> I just, I love movie popcorn so much. Ugh. It's a thing. There's a question for you. Connor, what is your movie theater snack? Uh, usually something chocolate. Interesting. Like what? You mix it up or do you have one thing? What do you do? It really just depends on where I'm going, what they have. One time I got him Bunch of Crunch and he said Bunch of Crunch and I had no idea what he was talking about. This was like 15 years ago. Those are the little Nestle Crunch yeah. n- uh, nuggets, yeah. right? Yeah. I usually yeah. get that if they have nothing else, but like... Interesting. There's a theater here in LA that I used to go to all the time before there was movies called The Landmark and they used to have like oh, um, a local bakery made brownies for them and it was oh, like, it's nice. like the best brownie I've ever had and I would get uh, brownies and a tea. Mm-hmm. And that would be like my ultimate. You know what's sad? And then they got they stopped doing the brownies, and I would complain to the manager. And I never do that. (laughs) Can you see him? He brushes his hair over sideways. (laughs) Excuse me. That bakery is probably out of business. Probably not. But I was like, can you give me the name of the bakery? Like I just it wasn't. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but that's usually what I get. Like a like it's something chocolatey, and yeah, I try not to get a sugar drink. Never get a drink. Oh, never get. Well, um, I'm I'm a raisinets guy. I like raisinets actually. A good box of raisinets during a movie, man. That, that, there's nothing. Better. I don't usually get candy. Candy's like if I'm like, fuck it, we're ha- we're making a day of this. But I will usually get popcorn, and I will get a massive soda from the the, the thing. <laughs> oh, Are you trying to kill yourself? Yes, I mean clearly, <laughs> yes. But like I have the um I have the Stubbs premiere whatever, so they upgrade like all your drinks and whatever just gets made large automatically, and then. You know, so I'm, I'm like, okay. They have uh, the cherry vanilla Dr. Pib, Mr. Pib. That's the only place you can get it. Like, and they've shut down all those freestyle machines everywhere. You can't use them anywhere. So they just have, you know, like, it's just even when I was like, I quit soda completely, which I've tried to do a bunch of times, like a cigarette smoker. When I go to the movies, I was like, no, it's okay here because that is part of it. But so I got like um I got an email from AMC cuz I just said I was one of those stubs people, which has worked out really well for me cuz my theater's really cheap, so I, my rewards go a long way. And it was saying, you know, like they, they like please come back. We're going to be safe. We got filtration, there's social distancing, there's plastic, there's whatever it is. We clean everything all the time. And I was like, you're making a pretty good argument. And I'm a hardliner with <laughs> nah. social distancing. Like I haven't done shit. All those theaters are are doing that now. It was on the Al- Alamo website uh, and they have their whole they have a big welcome back and it's everything that how it's going to work and when they return to theaters, they need Listen, these theaters need to open. Yeah. <laughs> it's a problem. And Never I get we'll that see. too. I have a great yeah. little theater here. And I'm sure it was on the verge of collapse before, but it's yeah. moments from my house. It's cheap as shit. Like, I don't want them to go. What's interesting is that, like, I, f- I want to say, like, in May or June, maybe, I got an email because I, I, my preferred theater chain here in New York City is Alamo. There's one in Brooklyn. It's, it's only, it's a short subway right away. And I just can't deal. I mean, like, it makes sense, Josh, that you have an AMC, but, like, AMCs in New York City are like, that's oh, your. Sure. Yeah, all. It's just no, like, I mean, but uh, yeah, on a given yeah. night, I could go to, if I go yeah. on, like, a weeknight, there's nobody in there. It doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah, it's fine. But at Alamo here in New York, the strict, like, no phones, no talking, like, that, oh, you just no, need that. Totally get it. I used to go in Queens, and every time it was like, all right, here we go. You remember we all went and saw Borat in Queens, and it was yes, just I like... That. It's like a frat party. Well, it was, the, last time I went, the last time I went to a movie at an AMC in Manhattan, I think it was Trainspotting 2, and, and like half the theater was on their phone the whole time, yeah. and it was like, oh, Not, No, I, but, I remember that Borat when people were like, took calls. It wasn't <laughs> yeah. just looking at it. It was like, yeah, hello? Nah, I'm in a movie. <laughs> but so I, I got an email from Alamo with like, 
uh, please take a survey about going returning to the movies and it was all the and like they were very thoughtful questions about like would you be comfortable doing this and like what if you had to order you could only you couldn't buy tickets at the box office you can only pay tickets in advance or what if you had to buy tickets and an entree like they're because they're trying to figure out how can we stay afloat if there are less people in the theater but it was really kind of thoughtful in terms of their approach and so I'm, cu- I'm curious when they open what they do and how they do it but uh yeah it's just i miss the movie so the fact much. that matters yeah. is for a really big movie i want to be in a theater yeah everyone's got great sure. tvs and they got good sound and but my tv's really nice and i got good sound but like I'd, i want to see like star wars in a theater i want to see marvel movies in a theater yeah. i want to see well, big big epic well shot Christopher Nolan movies in a theater. I don't want to see them at home for the first Well, aside from that, I have a huge... I mean, like, we, I was talking about this to some folks at work. Like, I, I believe the theater-going experience... Again, it's like you said, Connor, you can all get home theater equipment, you can get speakers, you get a big TV, all stuff like that. Nothing replaces the idea of going somewhere and going into the theater and, like, this experience is catered to this exact thing. Mm-hmm. You know, no matter how good your home theater is at yep. home, it's not going to match, you know, movie theater cinema quality. And then also, like, it is far too easy to be distracted at yep. home yes, that's you know exactly like it. like you know like i you know even if i didn't go to alamo you know take your phone out during the movie and like when you're at home yeah, i'm gonna check my phone i'm kind of bored you know and or like oh, i've got to fold that laundry Who's that guy or, oh, yeah or on, someone knocks on the, the door something happens yeah exactly and in a movie theater you don't do that you are focused yeah. on just watching and enjoying and i think that's important also there's nothing better than the, being in a comedy when everyone in the theater is laughing at the same time mm-hmm. you know not to harp on a thing but like it's very similar why i think i like records like yeah. I have to intentionally listen to something. Like I have to go through right. a whole. I have to not touch the record. I, you know, like I have to be there because in 15 minutes I'm gonna have to flip it over. Like it's just more active, and and so much is, you know, passive background. I mean, half of what we're gonna talk about. You know, it, you know, if we talk about what we're watching, I, I tend to do in the background. So yeah, no, you're totally right. Yeah. Well, let's jump in then with the first segment. We like to start with the, what we've been quarantine streaming since the last episode. It's usually streaming because what else have we got to do? But really, it could be anything you've been enjoying since we've last discussed things. And I'll start it off because Ron gets snippy when I start off with him. I just wasn't prepared. That's I, all. I understand. <laughs> so in my house, what we've been doing during quarantine is we've been alternating picks. So I pick a show. She picks a show. I pick I'm a show. I'm afraid you might fold under questioning. Ron. And uh, <laughs> so this past month, it was her pick. And we watched Sex in the City on HBO Max, which oh. I've never... I've seen a couple of episodes of. I've never really watched, but... Oh, I'm sorry, Connor. I think is I really enjoyed it. It was <laughs> funny. It, the first season, they're, they're not really sure what the show is, but by season two, it's really sort of kids going. And also, first of all, it's full of guest stars. There's a great Kyle MacLachlan storyline in it. True. I mean, yeah, he they did have a good casting. It's also from that time period where, like, all the, you know, people that they would have had on the guest, the supporting people, yep. they would have all been nobody at the time. And then you'd be like, oh, it's that guy. You know, like... Bradley Cooper, one of his yeah. first roles is in, the, is in the show. I love watching movies from, like, the late 90s. And, and all, of, all of a sudden, you know all the actors in it because they all got a career after that. Yeah, and, and the thing is, for me, it's very nostalgic because it takes place early... Two th- early late Is it late 90s, early 2000s? It's, it's in that it starts, period. starts about the same time as The Sopranos. Because around, the, around the midpoint is when 9-11 happened. So it's around... It's yeah. late 90s, early 2000s. That's when I graduated college, was living in New York, was single, was going out all the time. So it's it was of the time, right? Very of the time. You know, no one's got phones. The hot areas in town, were, that was where we were going out after work, like... All that stuff was very familiar. That was that was very, the meatpacking district, right? Meatpacking district. Yep, yep, yep. Bars there, and that's a whole storyline too. Like it's all very. It felt very. You know, one of the characters lived in the Upper West Side. That's where I grew up. There's a whole story about one character moving to Brooklyn and how traumatic that is. And I remember, 
you know, I grew up in Manhattan. Someone went to the outer boroughs. It was like, you, were, you know, goodbye, and I'll never see you again kind of thing. And the idea of living and going out and having relationships at a time where you, you weren't constantly on your phone, you couldn't text each other, you left people messages and machines. Like, it was a very familiar and sort of, I don't want to say comfortable, but I felt very fun watching that aspect of it. But it was also very funny and well-written. And Now, Megan had seen it before, presumably. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Huge fan. I liked it. It was fun. But other than that... I haven't really streamed anything else, but what I have found myself doing is that since lockdown, which was late March-ish, I've probably watched Unstoppable like eight or nine times. Good choice. Unstoppable, the Tony Scott directed, Denzel Washington, Chris Pine, Rosario Dawson. That's a good movie. It's almost like the perfect action movie. It's a, I, I'd say it's it, like I put that in my disaster film genre. Yeah, it's, it's, it's sad, disaster slash action. There's not like yeah. a ton of action, but... I was actually thinking that today because I watched it today and I watched uh-huh. it yesterday. It's, it's on HBO rotation right now and it just happens to be on something in the background while I'm working. It's the perfect sort of background accompaniment because you can come in at any point. You come in early, you get the whole arc, but you can come in late. There's a lot of different arcs in the story. Oh, so this is this isn't your choosing to watch it. It just happens to be like you because you you have direct you have satellite right. You, yeah, I just I'm just constantly seeing what's on and I can put in the background. It. It's not too distracting, but just, yeah. but enough where I can like sort of peek around my monitor for a few minutes. When guys, I'm, we're talking about a missile. The size Missile, of the Chrysler the size building. Of the Chrysler building. <laughs> and it's headed right at us. If you haven't seen this movie, it's loosely based on a true incident that happened where a runaway freight train in southern Pennsylvania had to be chased down because it was going to end up going off the tracks and causing a disaster. And so Denzel Washington is the train driver and Chris Pine is the newly minted conductor. They have to chase this train down because they're the only ones that can stop it. And it's, it's exciting. It's fun. It's funny. Who's the actor who plays the guy he's at the diner and he's supposed to i don't know but i love that guy yeah that guy <laughs> he's the the head welder who helps saving the day yeah and he's got the cowboy hat and <laughs> the big... it's a perfect it's a perfect movie it's you know it's even more perfect it's a, it's a perfect trailer like you could go Lindsay and i will not all the time but we will we'll sometimes just pull up the unstoppable trailer and watch it because it's just like the best textbook trailer for an action movie ever there's you know oh it's so good whenever there's you know, I need, I need a film, and I see Denzel Washington movie. I've watched a lot of them over the break. I've watched Manchurian Candidate and Training Day, and what was, there was another one, like five or six. I'm not doing it for you, not for you. <laughs> That's Let's a great line reading. Oh, he, everything, he's he's the best. We're very pro Denzel home here. We will do the same thing. We'll be like, we should watch a Denzel movie. Which one? I don't know. Let's figure it out. <laughs> like, it doesn't matter. A lot. Because <laughs> it doesn't matter how bad the movie is, and sometimes yeah. they're bad. He's great. He's, he's incapable great. of being bad. So that's what I've been doing, watching Sex in the City, six seasons, and about nine times Unstoppable. I think at the end of March, I watched, started watching Malcolm X, mm-hmm. and I got about halfway through it, and then my work day was over, and I had to go back and do whatever, because that's what I do. I put stuff on during work. And then next day, I came off, and they had taken it off of whatever service it was, and I didn't get to see the end of it. <laughs> that's funny. Yeah, I got, I got Denzel Blue Balls. It was no good. <laughs> <laughs> so Josh, Blue Balls Flanagan, why don't you go? Wow. Let's see. I was going to talk about the Rob Lowe book memoir that Connor sent me. I realized that I'm going to have to save some of this for the uh, year-end show. Yeah. Or I'm going to be in a lot of trouble. So I will go over a couple things. It's funny because, Ron, you have been telling us lately, like, there's nothing to watch. Which, and I'm not arguing with you, but I think that's absurd. If anything, 
there's too much to watch, and that makes it feels like there's nothing to water, watch. But water, there's not water, nothing. Not a drop three. It's a little bit exactly. of both. I mean, th- th- like there's too much. There's too much to watch, but but a lot of the stuff that's out, like I'm not gonna watch Yellowstone on Peacock. Like I don't just because it's out there doesn't mean I have to watch it. And actually, it was very funny because I did complain about there not being anything to watch, and uh, Matt Rosenberg actually called me out on it. And I, he's like, "Can I?" He's like, "He's like that's ridiculous. Can I recommend you some things?" I said, "Sure." And he sent me a list of stuff, and half of them I'd already seen. And the other half are like horror films and stuff that I'm not into yeah. that genre. So I was proud of myself in that regard. I'm, but I'm yeah. pretty sure though there's stuff that you have you've not considered watching that you would yeah. like, but you put it on your on your do not call list. I actually watched started watching the first couple episodes of Mythic Quest based on your guys' re- uh, re- recommendation on this very show, and I'm enjoying it. So there you go. Wow, I don't think you've ever actually taken one of my recommendations before, so that's cool. Um, yeah, well, Connor also <laughs> recommend, recommended it. So yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. exactly. And what's great about Mythic Quest is the same thing that's great about Sex and the City is it's a half an hour. Magic number, 30 minutes Beautiful. is the perfect TV time. Agreed. I remember when The Mandalorian first came out, we were all like, this is great. But Ron goes, you know what's really great about it? <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> 35 minutes, in and out. And was I wrong? Out, it was a long end credit sequence. Yeah. <laughs> So you were you could just the be thing done is with it. The, the, the prestige era of TV it's all about you know pushing the envelope going an hour fifteen going an hour five oh, going an hour ten pushing brutal. the envelope on a feature length episode yeah but sometimes thirty minutes is the perfect time frame it's nice for a story. It's, it's it's exactly what you need and sometimes you can even get two episodes in and then you feel like you got ahead of things yeah yep well if you're doing one at a time it's gonna take yeah. a while anyway so uh, you know how you've got like a you know we've all got a queue I have a queue on I've got a Hulu queue I've got a Netflix queue. I've got. I've got one in there. There is there an app, by the way, that sort of brings your queues together, so you can see all the things that you save to watch later. There's a bunch of apps that do that. I should do that. Yeah, like the TV tracking type things to say, mm-hmm. watch. I'm going to watch this later. I've watched and all this sort of stuff. Yeah. There's an app called Hobie that does it. H O B I. There's a ton that do that. Interesting. Okay. <laughs> It'd be great if I said that and you went, God, there isn't one. We got to get on this. Oh, no. Stop. Anyway, the show. so I'm flipping around. On Hulu, like I, basically at this point, I do just like, I'm like, I don't know what I want. So I'll just open up one of the random things. And I saw on my list on Hulu, at some point I had put the FX show Trust on there. And mm. Trust is the J. Paul Getty, the third kidnap story. There was also a movie called All the Money in the World, which famously replaced Kevin Spacey uh, with Christopher Plummer. And it was okay. It was fine. And I had put this show on my Hulu, and I thought, I probably would like that. And then I never thought about it again. I think largely because I did not like the screen grab, which is the kid, and he's painted all funny, and it's weird. It's like a David Bowie album or something. <laughs> so I threw it on the other day just because, like, I'll try this. And I do this a lot. I'll throw something on, and then, like, I realize it's over. I didn't really pay attention to it, and I move along. But it hooked me real fast. Well, this is Danny Boyle. He he. Yeah. Executive producer. He directed the first three episodes, I think. Something like that. I watched it when it was on. It was good. If he didn't direct them all, then you know he was guiding it. He was definitely telling well. He set the, the he set the tone and the style, which yeah. they then aped for the rest of the series. Yeah, and it, it's it's a it's a real good show. There's a, a killer cast. You've got Donald Sutherland as uh, John Paul Getty, senior. I don't know who the kid is who plays the third, but uh, he's fantastic. Yep. Great great casting. You've got Hilary Swank. You have a star turn by Brendan Fraser. It's all this period stuff. It's in the early 70s, and it's in Italy largely. It's a hell of a show. I don't know where they got the music budget for this show, <laughs> it's pretty but big. like they are blow. It's like Pink Floyd, the Rolling Stones. I was like, Jesus, how are they paying for this? I thought the Italian side of it was the most interesting. Like, like, like yeah. Donald Sutherland's great, and Frenner Fraser's terrific, but the whole side of the kidnappers yeah. and how that plot unfolded and how it was a mess and how it all went bad was really great. Yeah, so if you saw that other movie and you thought, oh, I've got that covered, this is much better than that. Well, it's like six more hours in the movie. Yeah, so. but that's not always a good thing. 
Oh, you, you get to go more in depth than all the characters in the side yeah. stories. And, and, and Brendan Fraser is a very different character than Mark Wahlberg played in the movie, uh, <laughs> largely because Brendan Fraser wasn't playing Mark Wahlberg. <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's a great show. I had Lindsay, I was like, you should see this. This is really fantastic. And, and so she's been watching. She goes, you know, like, this is a good show. So that's awesome. The one other thing that I sort of watched by chance one day um, was I watched The Banker. On uh, it's mm. on Apple TV Plus. Anthony Mackie and and Sam Jackson, and basically it's a story about I want to say the late fifties, early sixties in Los Angeles. Uh, basically, a black entrepreneur, you know, is, tries to buy real estate, but he finds out he can't, and so they come up with this scheme. Not really a scheme, but just a way that they they have a, a white guy played by um, Nicholas Holt front for them, so they can buy you know real estate and sort of own things in a time when they weren't really allowed to do that and and uh, it's a it was a great movie it was really interesting from a social standpoint it is hands down the best sam jackson i have seen in a sam jackson role in, in a long time hmm. it reminds you that when he he wants to he can turn it on oh it was it was 100% yeah. still there there wasn't a yeah. thing where like you know it was fun watching him in um captain marvel and all that but like this was sam jackson it was fun like, to watch him run <laughs> no, well, yeah, no. yeah, but it wasn't fun to watch Robert De Niro punch somebody <laughs> in The Irishman, so it's it's sort of like that. But no, super quality Sam Jackson, really good supporting cast. I didn't have a problem with the punching in The Irishman; it was the kicking. Yeah, whatever. It was yeah. just so stiff. It was yeah. Anyway, so yeah, really enjoyable. It sort of sort of surprised me one day, and you know, I just sort of threw it on, and then I was like, oh, I'm hooked, and I always like that feeling. Ron. Yeah, so as I mentioned, I've been I checked out Mythic Quest. Uh, we're a few episodes in, enjoying it. It's amusing. Thirty minutes. That's awesome. Another thirty minute show. You head over to Disney Plus, and you could check out Muppets Now, which is the return of the Mupp- uh, new Muppets content. Um, it's basically uh, half an hour of a series of sketches for certain for all, all intents and purposes. It is uh, various sketches. I love how like controversial the Muppet show always is always is it's, it, no matter what the show is or the film or whatever there's gonna be one side that hates it and one side that loves it I'll be honest with you and again these are you know these opinions are my own and not and do not reflect the Walt Disney Company so I want to be clear about that as a longtime Muppet fan I can confirm that he is it really stems from, and I think the best person that put it was Frank Oz, who, if you know your Muppets lore, you know Frank Oz, who not only was the puppeteer and the voice of Yoda in the Star Wars films, but is also the puppeteer and the voice of Muppets such as Fozzie Bear. Miss Piggy. Uh, Bert, I believe, Bert and Ernie. Frank Oz says, as much as Disney loves the Muppets and wants the best for the Muppets, and they truly believe they can do it, they don't get it. And that's that ever since Jim Henson passed away, that has been the problem because the issue with the Muppets is, is that ever since Jim Henson passed away and the Muppets went into kind of, you know, first with you know, Henson Productions and then Disney got involved and stuff like that, it, it got turned into this regurgitating cycle of pairing the Muppets with celebrities and mm-hmm. watching everyone react. It's the Muppet movie over and over again. Well, right, except that the Muppet movie was done by Henson and had celebrities, but the celebrities weren't the primary focus. The Muppets were always the primary focus. Mm -hmm. And so much of this comes from the writing and from the approach to the Muppets and the general vibe to it. And under Henson, it was clever. It was satirical. It was subversive. subversive. Yeah, exactly. And and unfortunately, recent Muppets, you know, and by recent, I mean dating back to the mid-90s, have been anything but (laughs) that. They've been very safe. It's been very just like hey look we're the what? Muppets and and you know you love us and like I, did you we, I, did you like the movie 
I did, well, so the first, the, the first, so there are two, re, the there are two modern movie. movies. There are two yeah, modern movies. The Jason Segel one. one, and then the, then there was the sequel to it. The Jason Segel one came really close. It had. I liked were, it a lot. It was, but it I liked really it a lot. I, I did enjoy it. It was funny. It got, it got a little too hokey, you know, like a little too, like the, it, 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 there are points that it were got a little too kind of precious and proud of itself. Mm-hmm. The second movie was it just went right back to the old formula where it's like here's a contrived plot we're gonna throw celebrities in and hey look it's Ricky Gervais and and the Muppets and Ray Liotta and the Muppets and Tina Fey and the Muppets and it just made you know like yeah. acting in a Muppet movie is the equivalent of like the you hear the actor saying well my kids you know told me I had to do it right. you know like yeah. that sort of thing and and which is you know which is hey just, that you know, worked out for us with Lord of the Rings true so, fair Viggo Mortensen. <laughs> The two Muppet movies, the, first, the, the most recent one, the Jason Segel one was good. The Muppets Most Wanted, not so good. The one season of the Office-like mockumentary drama, you know, kind of style was good at times. It was uneven. But, exactly. It was yeah. uneven. You know, like there was a weird subplot where Fozzie was dating a girl and her family wasn't accepting of her dating a bear. And then since then, we haven't had any real Muppet content until this. And I will say it's not like if you ask me, like it's not great. I'll be honest, but it's not awful. It's mostly good, right? It, there are moments of shimmering moments of like, okay, yeah, this is fun and this is Muppets. There's still like the first episode had a whole, you know, Kermit interviews RuPaul and it was just RuPaul with Muppets, which is like whatever. But the the Swedish Chef sketch is pretty funny. The Pepe Game Show sketch was pretty funny. I actually do love the the framing device is Scooter uh, is uploading the content to Disney Plus and you see his desktop and and he's getting texts from Fozzie like it's they're bringing it into the modern time, but keeping a lot of the Muppet sight gags and humor and stuff like that to it so I don't know we're, we're only a few episodes in I love the Muppets any Muppets to me like I want Muppets in my life so new content is is welcome but it's it's definitely for whatever reason it is hard to recreate the magic that they did in the 70s and well, 80s with the Muppets Henson's yeah. dead I know exactly, and it's not the seventies. Like it's just it's, a not the se- it's, it's a very of yeah. the seventies. Yeah. yeah, but then in addition to that, on a whim, we d- were like, "What do you want to watch?" I don't know. Let's watch this. We watched on Netflix that uh, Speed Cubers. What, it, what it's a, a documentary about competitive Rubik's cube competition. That so sounds like something you would watch. But here's the here's the thing. It, okay, documentary, and I was like, "All right, let's th- like forty minutes, mm-hmm. right? Like not not by no means was it like a full length movie." And it focused on these two kids. One kid is an Australian kid who's a superstar in the Rubik's Cube space. And then the other kid is a kid from California who is autistic and got super into using the Rubik's Cube and was a fan of the first kid and then worked his way up and then has beaten the first kid's world records. And now they're in a, they're friends, but they keep beating each other's world records and beating each other in competitions. And these kids were just the sweetest, like the nicest kids you've ever seen. And it like, I thought it was going to be one of those, oh, look at this weird quirky like competitive cultural thing but it turned out to be like really really truly heartwarming and like oh wow there's good there are good kids in the world and like it was just super nice so i don't know it was it, it was well anytime uh, you go into those subcultures you know there's always great stuff in there the yeah spelling bee documentary the crossword puzzle documentary i mean there's always interesting things in those in yeah those kind that of spelling yeah. bee documentary was a long time ago wasn't it yeah <laughs> it, it really was well who knows what does a long time ago mean anymore Anything from 2005, I think. The last thing I want to say isn't so much uh, one that I watched, but one that I've watched many, many times, and now you can watch it again. Uh, one of the greatest movies from the 80s is now available in a new 4K DVD version I and know streaming. Where this is going. 
Yes, it's a movie called Rad. <laughs> they released it in 4K on Blu-ray and also on streaming again, so now you can see the cult classic of Rad, the best BMX bike movie in the 80s ever. It is now very easy to watch, and I strongly recommend it's one of the greatest films of the 80s. All right, so that's what we've been watching and enjoying since we last talked. But let's jump into the main event of this episode, which is Perry Mason. And I'm glad we're talking about it because at first I think I was the only one watching it. Perry Mason is HBO's latest prestige drama. And for my money, when HBO's on it, it still produces the best prestige dramas on TV, at least for now, until AT&T runs it into the ground. Over the last couple of years, there's been a bunch of times they've proved that. And I think, you know, The Watchmen was, oh, you know, and then and then this comes along. I think the only reason you watched it before me last time is I just hadn't gotten to it. Well, also because I was started. a huge Perry Mason fan as a kid, so... Yeah. Uh, <laughs> You're the only one who was as a kid, by the way. So we, we talked about it here on the show, and much like Mythic Quest, I gave it a shot and watched the entire season. Mm-hmm. So Perry Mason just wrapped up recently. It was eight episodes? Eight episodes. Eight episodes. It's eight episodes, not a miniseries. Yeah. They're doing a season two. Oh, eventually. Right, eventually. Originally developed by Rob Downey Jr., he was going to play Perry Mason. Oh, thank God. But then it had to drop out for scheduling reasons and ended up being replaced by uh, Matthew Reese, the great actor from The Americans, and many other things. But Perry Mason was originally a TV series, 1957, 1966. It was originally a series of books. Pulp. Pulp pulp novels. Eric Stanley Stanley Gardner wrote. They must have done, like, was it TV specials? Because I remember. So there was was the the original black and white show, which you can watch on MeTV almost every day. Ran for uh, six years, and then they did basically like twenty years of movies, like just like Columbo, mm-hmm. the same thing. So that's like right. so all throughout the eighties and nineties, you had Raymond Burr coming back to play Perry Mason in TV movies, and I watched those also as a kid. So I was always a big Perry Mason fan. So I was very excited. Plus, I love Matthew Reese from The Americans. So I was very excited for this uh, miniseries, which is basically produced by the people behind Boardwalk Empire. <laughs> Tim Van Patten directed all every episode of this miniseries. He was one of the directors. For, he's a big HBO guy, but he directed a lot of Boardwalk Empire. Yeah. He came from, and, and a lot of those people came from The Sopranos. And a lot of the cast, mem- a lot of the, like, the secondary, third me- cast members are from uh, Boardwalk Empire, including our favorite. Shea Wiggum. Shea Wiggum. Shea Wiggum, he's, so every good. T- every time he shows up on screen, I'm like, look at him. Look at his face. He's it, gotten like, better because he's, he's, he's gotten skinnier. Yeah. The premise of the show is... 1932, Perry Mason is an investigator for a lawyer played by John Lithgow, E.B. Jonathan. He has part of his crew that you're going to recognize from if you're a Perry Mason fan in place, but he starts off as a PI for this lawyer investigating cases, and he has a partner played by Shea Wiggum, Pete Strickland. They're both ex-cops. At the very least, Perry Mason's an ex-GI. He fought in World War I. He's got his demons from that. And they you know, start off... Just investigating low rent stuff, you know, basically a character like um, Fatty Arbuckle. Fatty Arbuckle, Fatty Arbuckle yes. Yeah. They're investigating a Fatty Arbuckle esque actor for infidelity, in it, but it ends up getting drawn into a case involving a dead baby and a giant mega church in Los Angeles and how it all weaves together. By the end of it, Perry Mason has got his team together that you'll recognize Della Street, his loyal assistant in the original show, his secretary, but probably will end up being his co lawyer. On this series. That's Mark Rylance's daughter. She was very good. Oh, wow. Good. Yeah. And Paul Drake, in this series, who is uh, one of the, f- the earliest black cops in the LAPD, ends up having to quit and join their firm as their new investigator. And 
I thought this was great. I love period pieces. I find the 30s utterly fascinating right now. Yeah, 1932 mm-hmm. is is a really interesting time to do a show, especially in L.A. Early L.A. as well is very fascinating. Yeah, it's got that. Yeah, it's got that. You know, the the L.A. Chinatown, confidential. LA. Uh, yeah, the, the L.A. confidential kind of feeling. Although L.A. confidential is a little later. Right yeah, exactly. Like the the <laughs> the glorious kind of you know Hollywood time. Yeah, but this show really brought you to that time and place in a way that I feel is different than any other thing that I've seen with it. You know, and it's very you know and like and because also because it was early 30s not late 30s and and the difference between early 30s and late 30s is that you know prohibition is still in effect so that's kind of lingering the depression starting the depression starting you still got old shitty cars you know Mm -hmm. like the you don't get those nice curved you know kind of la noir kind of cars yet it's still kind of very boxy model early generation cars yeah exactly Yeah. yeah 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 In that same way, like the the depression has started, but it hasn't really kicked in in that right. way yet. So it's right. not about just like soup lines and shit. But then I think one thing that really got me in that sense is that Perry has a flashback to war, and oh, it's World great War episode. One. Yeah. And I went, oh man, yeah, that's because yeah. you don't. I don't know. I feel like we don't talk about those veterans and what they did after the fact very often. And and you know his story from World War One is gut wrenching. Yeah, so th- I think that was really good in sort of in the time frame. And also, it's it's like Chinatown. It's in LA. It's a lot of farmland. You know, yeah. a lot, it's it's not developed. It's LA took a long time and didn't didn't really wasn't really settled as a city. Probably more than ten years before the show. And there's even a part where E. B. who's much older and talks about you know when he had a his first law firm was next to the blacksmiths. You know, in the old West Town in like the late 1800s. Mm-hmm. And you're just like, oh, right. That's why I find it such interesting. It's like this gr- interesting transitional time between like what we consider to be really old, like the old West versus modern times, which sort of begins yep. like the 40s, 50s. And this is like that the 30s, late 20s, early 30s is like that weird transitional point where people are still riding horses. Mm-hmm. But there's also cars and there's planes. And anyway, I, I found it fascinating. But this is a great cast. Matthew Rees, Juliet Rylance, as Josh said, Chris Chalk as Paul Drake, Shea Wiggum, Tatiana Maslany, who plays Sister Alice, who's based on a real person, mm-hmm. and John Lithgow, Nate Cordry. He's so good. It's just full He's of Stephen Root, he, Lily Taylor. Yeah. Oh, Stephen Root was Stephen Root is great as the district attorney. Matt he was Frewer, and uh, Matt Kirk. Frewer yeah, Matt is the judge. Yeah, yeah. It was oh, Lily Taylor is the mother of the of the uh, church. You know, kind of. Zealot. One of the other things that gets to happen, because I think, because of the time frame, is that there are instances, and I think you know Stephen Root probably best evidence is that like it's a little hammy, and I don't mean yeah. that in a bad way, but yeah. like. They get to chew the scenery and be a little melodramatic in a way that works because of this time frame, and it was really enjoyable. Like yep. to all the see every time Stephen Root said a word was really great, and then you know when Perry goes up against him, it's even better for that. So you, you just kind of you know it's a little in the past. You get to make it a little more like old Hollywood. I gotta say. I'm going through a Matthew Reese thing. And well-deserved, because after, for me, like, so I didn't watch The Americans, but the Mr. Rogers movie, oh, I forgot to mention earlier, still watching a lot of Mr. Rogers. (laughs) Good, good. Currently, right now, King Friday is making everybody do paintings of him, because he likes to have pictures of him around around the castle. Yeah, totally, he's the king. But, uh, so that was really my first kind of exposure to him, and then in this... The dude is great. He's he is, incredible. He's got such an emotional presence, right? That you really, whatever, whether it's frustration or anger or whatever disappointment, like he is, a, he is some way able to translate that in a way that I haven't seen an actor in a while, and it's just it's really impressive. What's great about this particular role here is, is I don't want to spoil the Americans for Josh, but he basically never gets to hit this level in the Americans. He's, his character, the Americans, is very constrained. Yes. And he has to be. So here, when he blows up, I'm like, oh, shit, I've never seen Matthew Reese yell before. 
<laughs> yeah. So so what happens is, is we start watching this, and and I had seen I like I'm aware of the Americas. I tried to watch it at one point and didn't get very far. And I'd seen Mister Rogers' Neighborhood, and and I. He was in the post I noticed as well, him. Daniel I was like, "Oh, I, I, I kind of noticed that he and I, he was in like a really great episode of Girls," and and I kind of noticed him, but didn't quite. And then right when Perry Mason started, I was watching. I was like, "It's pretty good." And then I heard a Fresh Air where he was on with uh, Terry Gross, and he's Welsh, yep. and I know that or whatever. But to hear him in his real self, he's a goofball. He's such a different person. Yep. So then you come into Perry Mason, and I was like, "Holy shit, he is." owning that character in that space in a way that he's not an like, actor I'm, that plays himself he's, yes and, he's and, an and, actor. and so yeah it's funny how that works huh? so we started <laughs> we started watching the americans we went back and started to watch through it again and he he's really good in that and he gets to do a bunch of different things and you know they get in his disguises so there's all sorts of different people and then we go back to i don't want to say it was a, like two or three episodes into perry mason and i start watching i think we went right from watching an americans to the new perry mason episode that came out that night and he walks on screen and i went oh my god because he looks exactly the same but he was a completely different person and i was like that's amazing yeah. it, like it, it's not even a thing that i can just how he talks or whatever like his bearing is just a different person and it's the weirdest most subtle thing and I'm I'm way into it right now. And it's interesting cuz he's not your traditional leading man. Like he's a good-looking guy for sure, but he's not your traditional like square-jawed guy. He's also yeah. you know, he's like hair's thinning, but he yeah. has this presence that is you can't yeah. take your eyes off him and he's Connor, you so said something to me. Like he he just he becomes a sad, you know, like inner turmoil character better than anybody else yeah. for a person who doesn't seem like that at all in yeah. real life. And we, we, there's a ton of that in this series. He's very good at being yeah. sad. He's, he's, yeah. I, I defy you to find anyone better than him at playing a sad mm-hmm. character. But what was great about this is, you know, it, it starts off to it's parallel storytelling, right? So you're following the case of the kidnapped. It's not exactly the Lindbergh case, but it's got a lot of echoes of the Lindbergh case where a baby's mm-hmm. kidnapped and ransomed, and the baby gets, accidentally dies in the kidnapping. And that's the main thrust. But then you've got this strange megachurch story going on to the side. And I remember telling Josh, because I didn't know Ron was watching, I was like, they need to figure out this church story. Like they need to <laughs> incorporate this pretty soon, and then and then it all comes crashing together towards the end. No, it's so funny you say that because uh, me and my wife were watching it. I want to say we were like maybe three episodes in. I turned to her. I'm like, you know, I'm like, I know this. The case is about the dead baby, but I think it's really about the church. <laughs> <laughs> so it was just really well done. I liked the eight episode length. It was great. It wasn't like they had to stretch it out. Occasionally mm-hmm. with these like thirteen episode, twenty six episode seasons. You're like, well, that was a good episode, but really, did we need it? This is like all on point. I will tell you something. There's one thing that stuck out to me, but I'm not upset about it. Was that there? The, I'm going to say this because whatever. Perry Mason's a lawyer. Yeah. And right. I was about halfway through, and I was like, wait, he's not a lawyer. He's <laughs> yeah. a private detective. Well, and then and then wait, yes. and then at the very end of one of the episodes, like yep. a thing takes place, and then the rest of the show, he's a full-on lawyer. It's fast and forward. They, they wasted no time with that, and I was a hundred percent okay with it. Yes, it was. It was. It was almost head spinning how yes. quick he was able to become a lawyer. And and part of that is the it's time. The yeah, is it. the '30s. Anything goes. You know that sort of thing. But like they blew right. Like he just took the bar and had no problem with it. And like. So. And then, but it's not only that, but like I think he stumbled a little at the beginning of court. But an episode later, he's a killer in that courtroom. Yeah, yeah. You know, and he's but he yelling. Still, he still he's doesn't quite know. Like he's very good, but he still doesn't quite know all the rules. And I mean, he, you know, I don't want to spoil how the trial goes, but he doesn't. You know, he's not. What I liked about that final episode was so on the TV show, Perry won. I think every case but one. 
mm-hmm. always up against Hamilton Berger, who was played in this, this show by Justin Kirk from Weeds. Uh, he's awesome. Oh, he's always great. But he, his specialty was to harangue the guilty party on the stand until they confessed or present them with some miracle evidence at the very last second. And so you're watching the, the last episode and that's what's happening. And I was like, wow, they're really, they're just going to go for it. And then there's a great reversal on that. Yep. This doesn't work in court. You can't actually conv- get someone to confess. No one confesses on the stand. And, yeah. and so I was like, that's a nice way to sort of acknowledge the the roots of Perry Mason, but to go in a different direction. And yeah. I thought that was really great. It, it was really just a really smart show. What's interesting about this is because I, cause I remember when it first came out, I was telling, uh, after you guys had talked about it, I mentioned to my wife, it's like, really? They remade Perry Mason? And, like, and it was so long ago. You know, for for the I mean, I mean, what's sixties? Yeah, yeah. So fifties and sixties, near nearly sixty years ago, right? So there's not so much cultural revenant, re- well, the, relevance to the it. Movies which are the nineties, but still. Yeah, but still, other than you know Raymond Burr, I couldn't I couldn't tell you anything about the show. You watched it, but I didn't. I knew it existed, but I didn't know. Yeah, Connor what it was. knew a lot more about it than I did. Yeah, and knowing that it was rooted in pulp novels, not just like the like the old TV show was based on these pulp novels. So it's got it's got even a richer history than I even realized. And being able to take that in the time period and then tell and Connor, I don't know you if you watched every episode, you know, but they they never got into his origin story, right? Yeah, I mean, I didn't remember every episode. It was mostly just about him being in court. Because I remember watching the first episode. I'm like, he's an investigator. I thought he's yeah. a lawyer, right? Yeah. And like, and this, uh, so, so like, this was a really, ki- you know, kind of fun adventure to go on. And honestly, now I'm like, uh, you know, COVID aside, but I'm like, oh man, like this was to get in the band together. Like and that, yeah. now, it can, now it's really going to start. What's going to happen next yeah. season? And I was you know? watching at the end of the, I want to say the second to last episode when they're outside and there's huge crowds. And it, it occurred to me, I was like, oh, we're not going to get to shoot this for a while. <laughs> Because yeah. it was just like massive crowds of people. Let's not dwell. And Let's not dwell. <laughs> I know. No, I just mean like the same thing. Like they just got the band together. I was like, oh, this can keep going. It occurred to me. And I got really excited about that. And then I thought, that's going to be a little while. Pace yourself, buddy. Yeah. And it can keep going and, and tell different kind of stories. I mean, what sure. was interesting was, you know, in the original show, Paul Drake is, you know, your blonde, square jawed waspy guy and here he's he's a black character and it allows for a whole different kind of storytelling. And at first I thought, well, they're they're kind of pushing the boundaries of credulity here because how effective can a black investigator be in the 30s? But then there's a great sequence where he, he does some investigating for Perry and you see how he can exist on the margins of society at the time and use that to his advantage. And I thought that was really well done. And plus, they add the element of Della being a closeted lesbian and that was a new twist. And that allows for different things. There was a lot of interesting things. Loves. Do. I do, I do got to say, yeah, Della's girlfriend, every scene she was in, she stole the show, I thought. I thought she mm-hmm. that, that was that was a great... And we got just enough of her. Like, it wasn't... Yes. You know, and I thought they revealed that relationship in a great way mm-hmm. and it, it was used within the story, you know, as, a, as an element that was really strong. But that actor, when she, when she was answering the phone and when yep. she did her moment of delivering the evidence in court like every time she was on I'm like she's delightful she got spunk <laughs> yeah yeah it, it, it was a great courtroom drama it was a great mystery you know it, there was a yeah. lot of interest it tied into historical elements of not just the country but LA it was, it was I thought it was good Good twists and turns. It was good. I mean, like good, good courtroom drama. Good, like I, I mean, all I, and it was just so well done. And we like we joked about length of TV shows, and you know, and and with the thirty minutes being the optimal to get in, get out. But like these, truly, these hour long shows on you know primarily on HBO. Connor, to your point, yeah. that the premiere TV oh. on HBO. You know, like going back to you know, like I talked about it when I talked about Boardwalk Empire. When I love that, like it's like getting lost in a movie that's one hour long, and it yep. it's so funny because we you know I started late, so we were a couple of. We- 
we were a few weeks behind and we were, you know, I do like to, I'm not a big binger. I've said it before. We like to, you know, we watch an episode, we wait, try to wait a week or at least wait a few days to let it linger, to discuss and build up excitement. But we finished, I think the third to last episode and we're like, we're going to watch the next one tomorrow. Right. And like, yeah, you know, cause we just like, we was so, we, it was on the edge where we just wanted to see how it all turns out. Like we always watched it on Sunday night, yeah. which is nice. not a, yeah. like, it would like, we like, Oh, this, the new one's it's up. Perry Mason night. Like I got so excited yeah. when I saw it was, it was time for Perry Mason. You know, I mean, we've talked about this before. Connor's, you know, much more and still does TV much more traditionally than I do. And I don't want everything to be like that, but for certain things like that Sunday night yeah. prestige show thing, that's great. I, I love it. It's so yeah. much fun. So we can look forward to season two of Perry Mason in 2025. <laughs> at some point, this show may get into talking about how there's no more TV, and Ron will be correct. And, and there's nothing to watch. <laughs> nothing to watch. We'll get into that. I really should adjust that. There's nothing good to watch. That's what, nothing that I want to watch. <laughs> That's the there qualifier. No, That's the no, qualifier. No, there's nothing that you think you want to watch. <laughs> this is a great segue, Ron. So yeah. what I thought we'd do this week was... We do a grab bag segment. I come up with a bunch of questions for you guys. You guys don't know what's coming. They're all related to media. I thought I'd just pepper you with some questions and we fill the last 10 or 15 minutes of the show. Two things I love when podcasting. One, a good grab bag segment. And two, not knowing what's coming. I like that too. Connor's good at these. Yeah. On the Goodfellas Minute, he came up with the fun fact out of nowhere. Didn't tell us, just started doing it. And it became a highlight of every episode. So he's good at this. Here's your first question related to what Ron just said. What one TV series would you most want to make the other one watch? Ooh. If you could force Josh to watch a series and he has to watch the whole thing. My answer is already, I've already got it. I feel like I know what Josh's is, but I'm curious what Ron's is. Why don't you go, Josh, and let Ron think about it? I have qualifying questions, but uh, but Josh can go first. I can guess what Josh Josh is. Okay, so is... What am I going to say? You know. Is it something that I think he would enjoy? Mm Mm-hmm. No, it's not a hate watch. It's not a hate watch. Uh, right. I know you're going to really like, hate watching Beverly Hills 90210, but what show that you that he he hasn't watched or won't watch that you most wish he would watch that you would could make him watch? Oh, man. It's a great question. Josh, you can start. I know what your answer is. It's Friday Night Lights. Oh, that's not what I thought you were going to say. I, I thought Friday you were Night gonna Lights. Say, I thought you were going to say The Wire. I thought you were going to say Fargo. I think Fargo is fantastic. It's a really good show, and I think that... He's not watching it because he's not not watching it because he doesn't think he will like it in the same way that he isn't watching Friday Night Lights. Friday Night Lights is, is I don't is, like is, football. Exactly, which is <laughs> stupid. I don't I don't like boxing, but Rocky's a great movie. The point being though, it is the best teen drama I've maybe ever seen. And you love that shit and you would love it. I've no I have zero doubt in my mind that you would love watching that show and you would come back and be like, I can't believe fucking Riggins did that. <laughs> and it's just, it's just a simple fact. The football has nothing to do with it. The, the wow. prosecution rests. Wow. <laughs> this is hard. You may not have an answer. Maybe go with your gut. Well, because also, because also he, he I, I will give Josh credit that he, has been much well also because he, he you watch more tv than i do but sure. has been way more open to trying things that we've suggested and finding the joy in them and all this sort of stuff like because i feel like there's a point in time where i could have said halt and catch fire but then you watch halt and catch fire and you got it and you liked it you know so, so fucking good so good right so <laughs> no, so it's, good it's the best character drama of that's of that decade yeah, so so good. I mean, so so without I mean without getting a full catalog of everything that you've watched, 
I got to lean on what I think you probably have never watched and would never watch, and I'll go with you know a favorite of me and Connor, and that's Twin Peaks. I, th- I was realizing you were getting to that. Yeah. I feel like he would hate it, but I think he would find things that would appreciate in it. Yeah, I think that's true. I will amend it, yes, I, and I hope that would be the case, that you would, you would find things that you like that. But I also amend it and throw the good wife at him. I could see that, although I did try it at one point. It was a little, in my experience, it was a little too like, careful. standard. standard. <laughs> it felt a little too standard network drama to be. Be careful. It's the most morally ambiguous network television show in the past 20 years. Yeah. The best guest cast of any show. Yep. Maybe I ever. feel like I've gotten in early. If I'd gotten in early, I would have had, been okay with it now, but it seems, seems too daunting. Because it's like, it's like old school network 26 episode seasons, right? Like it's, it is long. It's a whole thing. Yes. I mean, it but, but it's funny because you guys were both big ER fans, and I didn't watch it until much later. That's right. Which was now a while ago also. But I did catch up while it was still on air. You set the tone, Josh. I know. <laughs> let's oh, let's. Switch. I, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. If I had an answer for, for both of you right now, and mm-hmm. I'd, I've been mentioning this lately, but it, it, for for both of you, it's the Nick, which you can kind of only watch on Cinemax. It's ER 1900 New York, and like there's literally you set the tone moment, and I was like, oh my god, and it's the best wow. Clive Owen I've ever seen. It's I do so want to watch it. It's just very hard to watch. You would. Uh, it isn't. You just you just go to Amazon and you get there. Cinemax trial that gives you a week. You pay ten bucks for the extra month if you need it. And I don't then have you're done. Week. It's two seasons. Let's switch gears here to a subject that you both love. Tell us your first live show and the last live show you went to. Live music show? What was your first live music show and what was the last one you went to? Oh, shit. You don't the, know those? Hard to remember. The last would be the easiest one, I would think. Uh, no, that's the hardest one. I don't remember what the last one was. He's got little babies. <laughs> yeah, <it's>, uh, <laughs> seriously. <laughs> they're not little anymore. Oh, they're, little. Man, they're, they're the little people now. It's really yeah, no, freaky. Yeah. They didn't get easier. He's not like he's rested now. <laughs> uh, i got to go and look at my calendar. Hang on. What was I the first one? While you think. Yeah, what's your first show? Well, dep- well depend- oh, this is a tough question for me because the, the first one was when I was like eight, and I tagged, I tagged along with my dad and my sister to, to Nassau Coliseum. To, to my dad was taking my sister to go see Power Station, which was a band that featured members of Duran Duran and Robert Palmer and all this sort of stuff. So like, <laughs> he brings up a good point, is that any respectable music interview will ask, what's your first show? And there's always two answers to that, is the first one yeah. you, saw, you saw, and then the first one that meant anything to you. Well, exactly. I would say yeah. the first one you, you chose to go to on your own, as yeah. opposed to like you went with your parents or something oh man well yeah so the first one in my well okay so i will i will i will break it up in this because there was because because my friends in high school were in bands that then got involved in the local music scene i went to i can i can't remember my first show that was like a hardcore show and that that sort of thing because actually i do remember it it was at the right track in it was uh, my friend's band was in a band called Time Alone, and he played with a band called Clockwise at the Right Track Inn. But those are all like local scene stuff. But then the first time I went to the city was to see Suede at the Academy. Me and my friend got on the train after school. It was a Friday night, and we went to see them play at the Academy. It was a Britpop band that I had discovered on 120 Minutes, and it was just an amazing night in the city. And we met girls at the show, and then took the train home with them. And and you know, and I, I caught a flower from the singer from this. Uh, brought the flower home. It was a Britpop thing. Um, and then it, with the way the trains went on Long Island and everything, this is the night before the PSATs. And I uh, <laughs> I got I got in I got in at like three in the morning or something. Like that and i just fell asleep and this is 1992 
92, 93 maybe. So I reeked of smoke because all the clubs you could still smoke in. And I woke, the, the test was at 7 a.m. or 7.30 or whatever. So I just went, got up. I fell asleep in the clothes I went to the show in. And I got up and went to school in the clothes I went to the show in. Mm-hmm. And so I reeked of cigarettes. And then I fell asleep in the middle of the test. And, <laughs> I, and let's just say I got a very low grade, which then prompted an argument with my mother about what the P in PSAT stood for in my argument that it stood for practice. It and so therefore it doesn't bullshit. matter. Yeah, exactly. It did not matter in any way. You, you, you were so, right about that one. Yeah, I was. I, had, I was also up all night the day before my PSAT. Not for any real reason, just I was with people and we were hanging out. But Interesting. Yeah. But I was fully aware. I was like, well, this, is, this doesn't matter. Yeah. Do you know your last show? My last show... Was it... Most recent show, I should say. I'm going through my calendar now to try to find it. Avail was too early. That was four or five months before. No, that was that was in was that September. Year? That was last yeah, year. That's yeah. what I mean. So, yeah. Oh man, I don't know. Well, Josh, well, on looks, you why don't you? Yeah, know? my first show, like my first show on my own as like a teenager was. I have a college in my town. Bowdoin College is there, so they started to realize they had shows. So, but at that point, they brought in Diggable Planets first. That was the first thing. I was like, oh, that's I've heard of that on MTV. I can go to that. Would be cool like that mm-hmm. single, it's cool like that. and it was cool. I, you know, it wasn't really my like favorite that. favorite thing, but it was all right. It was cool, you know, like that. And then after that, I think they had Arrested Development kind of come in after that. So did you ever go to anything with your mom? I think so. My mom and my tastes have always not been the same, even for a while. And I don't know. She wouldn't. She no, that wasn't a thing. So that would have been like my junior year of high school, and then my senior year of high school, Dinosaur Junior played in Portland, and, and we could finally drive at that point. Portland's like the city in Maine, and it's like twenty five minutes from where I lived, and so like we got in a car and drove to a real rock show. You know, it was kind of a, I mean, they were a major label band at the time, but kind of everybody became a major label band for a little while at that time. You know, but they're an indie rock band. It was my first like rock show. Yeah, I'm obviously still a huge fan of that band today, if not more so. That was really fun. That was like the first show that had like moshing and like, you know, crowd surfing and, and sort of the thing that was going on at the time. Just you loud. Know your most recent show. I saw Silver Sun pickups in Boston about five days before all the lockdown started, which in retrospect. You're lucky. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I really am. It wasn't a great show. It was, I really like those albums. They're, they're not a very punk rock band as opposed to a lot of stuff I go see. But I actually really like their albums. I mean, I had to play a couple songs from in a band that I was in, and I sort of got into them to a certain extent. But when I went to the show, it was at the House of Blues, which I, I don't really like in Boston. And the crowd was very much not the scene I'm used to. It's like, you know, normal people who go to shows as opposed to like the shows I usually go to, which is like a bunch of people my age with beards who stand there and quietly enjoy the music even though they're like loud uh you know you know people in the shows but it's 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 just a different scene but you know they were pretty good it was just one of those like really polished and and i kind of wanted to have seen it but it wasn't like a super special show ron you figured out i'm going back in my text with my friend who i go to shows with (laughs) and i could see that between march and now november I did not go to see Gorilla Biscuits in February because I was tired and and the babies. I did not go with him to see Bob Mould because of the babies. I did not go with him to see Super Chunk Acoustic. It's like a Sam I Am story. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I did it's not go really to the band Sam I Am. That's why I said I think I think Avail might have been it because that was September October. No, I went to I think I went to Vitus at some point to see somebody at Vitus. Let's see. I have a ticket. Now that's for pinball. I'm trying to look at my tickets folder. I, I don't gave know, you like last... five minutes. I know, I know. I'm trying to figure it out. You should man. be on top of this. This is your brand. You should use bands in town, and that way you can just look and see what the last one was. 
All right, so hang on. So it looks like it is. Um, it looks like it was on September seventh. That might have been a veil. I know. <laughs> yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah. I mean, see, the thing is, though, if you're going to go out on a show, wow, that's almost a year ago, Ron. I don't think that's true, though, because because I know for a fact I went to St. Vitus sooner than that. So. Uh-huh. I, I th- but I don't buy tickets. I just wa- I just walk in there, so I don't have t- I don't have you know that, that right. sort of thing. But um, fairly certain. Oh wait, I can look at my Instagram. Um, Connor, these are tough questions, man. These Connor, are- what was the last? What, what, what's your answer yeah. to these? Yeah, yeah, the questioner doesn't answer the questions. The, Ooh, but I want to know. The questionee answers the questions. I feel like whatever your first one was is going to be a surprising and not surprising. I don't remember. So here's what happened. A couple years ago, you guys remember I went to see Willie Nelson's Fourth of July picnic. I found it. Sorry. Real quick. So I went yeah, to, I to that. see that, and then I was having lunch with my uncle. My uncle and aunt live in Austin the next day, and we were talking about the show, and I was saying how excited I was to, to finally see Willie Nelson. And he was like, what are you talking about? We, you saw Willie Nelson in like the 80s with your parents and me, and, uh-huh. and somewhere at some point in Texas, probably in Austin, I saw Willie Nelson play. That, was that the first show I ever went to? I don't know. My parents were young, so they probably took me to you know those kind of outdoor concert things. Mm-hmm. I don't remember what they were because I was a baby. Or a kid or whatever. That doesn't count. No, yeah. it doesn't count. But I don't really go to shows a lot. I don't even remember yeah. what the last I, one was. I, think, I actually yeah. had a bunch of tickets this year. I can't remember. I had at least two shows that we had bought tickets for this year that were canceled. And I can't remember what they were. See, I was supposed to see the Decemberists about five days from now. And I bought, I bought like the best tickets you could get, like front and middle. My wife was super excited. And I remember back in March, she's like, maybe we can still go. And then by April, I was like, we're totally not going. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I found it thanks to I always take a picture of the of a band I see on Instagram and it was on November first, twenty nineteen. I saw the band one hundred eight at at Saint Vitus. That was my last show. It's the sacred number of Vishnu. Exactly, sacred number of Vishnu one hundred eight. So that was the grab bag segment. We may bring. Oh, it that's back. it. Well, oh. we're out of time. But I spent a whole couple hours writing questions down the other day, so I've got a ton of them. I just oh great. All right, have, we, we can't. I guess we can't burn through them all. No, so. no we got to sp- spread them out. So that was the grab bag segment. This was iFanboy Media Explode. Again, unlocked by the patrons at patreon.com slash iFanboy. If you want to support us, that's where you can go. And also, if you want to send us an email, we can do emails on this show, too. Contact at iFanboy.com. Oh, that'd be great. If you want to put, put media explode in the... Put media explode in, the, in, the, in the subject line. Yeah, we'd love to do emails on the show as well. We don't just talk about comics, but we do at iFanboy.com. We have our weekly pick of the week show. Josh and I talk about the week's comics. We have fun. There's tons of stuff happening there in our community. And we thank everyone who comes and listens to the show, supports the show. We thank you. And we had a good time. This is always fun. It's always fun. And if I could promote my own crap, yep. if you like technology, specifically uh, Android phones, uh, go listen to All About Android. It's the other podcast that I co-host. Uh, every Tuesday comes out on the Twit Network. So give that a download, please. All right. And until next month, we'll be back talking about something. Who knows what it'll be. I'm Connor. I'm Ron. I'm Josh. Thanks, everyone. <laughs>